You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 241 and 242 of Fed by Ravens. We are uh, continuing the oral tradition, but steeped in the scriptures. So let's just get to the story today, Matt. I do have a note, though, I want to bring up to you. I've been thinking about what we could call our uh, the, the people who follow Fed by Ravens. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you like this one or not. It's just an idea. I know. You don't like it. <laughs> but if you think about it... it uh, you're right. It, it totally sounds, works. It works, but it doesn't sound so great. But I was thinking we can call all of you who faithfully listen to this our little bird feeders. Yeah. You know? I have a bird feeder in my yard, and the uh-huh. birds from the air come and feed. They eat of it, and then they go away into their little bird communities I don't know we'll take a vote in like five years and see what's up once we hit once we hit 15 listeners we'll have a year of jubilee where are we all right our old testament reading for today is second chronicles chapter 33 verse 21 through chapter 36 which is the end of this book did it you guys we're gonna get through chronicles oh man so exciting although i'll be sad because uh chronicles has been such an adventure yeah i'm like almost like where do we go from here oh i thought you're gonna go where do we go now Uh, anyway yeah that's that's another story let's both take a drink of coffee ah okay i'm ready now and now let's guide everyone through amon this this amazing story amnon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so who do we just finish with the king we just finished with was Manasseh oh Manasseh so bad uh, historically or traditionally considered the worst king yes. of Judah but according to the chronicler had an amazing like he stuck the landing turnaround yeah he was a hot mess in the air but then when he landed he landed on his feet why? because <laughs> he repented because his feet were made of pure repentance Frustrating and awesome at I mean, the same time. I mean, I guess time. a fish hook in your mouth yeah, it'll, tends to lead you there. It'll do it to you. <laughs> Even the thought of being a slave will do it to you. Like, oh God, no. So you would think, no. you would think at the end of his life, uh, his son, who would take over for him, Amnon, would kind of go, hey, things seem to turn around for my old man. But no, he no. does nothing but evil and is eventually uh, killed kind of in a civil war, right? Uh. Yes. Like people are just yes, upset yes, yes. with him. Yeah, because I think they, I think the people get it quicker yeah. than the kings do at times. And Which so Ammon sense. probably grew up underneath his dad's reign, right. was spoiled, could do whatever he wanted, and then um, did not learn from his dad's repentance and reset up everything his dad destroyed, and was kind of probably like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Right. And so then the people are like. We liked what Manasseh did. Hey. You're taking us backward. We don't need to go there again. Right. And you so, weren't, uh, you were in the palace. Mm-hmm. You weren't out here suffering with all the decisions your dad made when he was evil. Things have just started to turn. So they kill him. They kill him. And then in chapter 34, they set up yet another boy king. You gotta love the boy kings in this. Man, in this. there's a ton of them. But what's amazing always to me is amazing about the line of David in Judah is that it survives assassinations that the people will assassinate the current 
yeah. ruler and then set the sun up still and be <laughs> like, pretty amazing. cool, we still want the Davidic line over us. Well, we just don't like you, so right. we're going to set your sun up. And quite literally, the people are saying, we would rather have an eight-year-old son of yours yeah. than you taking us backward. Mm-hmm. So um, Fascinating. There it is. Josiah starts at age eight. Oh, I do want to say Josiah... Again, if you can remember all the way back to Kings, which um, you can, so you why don't you lead yeah. us there? Yeah. So uh, Jeroboam, the mm-hmm. first king of Israel, yes, there was a prophet who came to him and announced to him there will be a boy king that shows up named Josiah that will rid the Israel. He'll come from the south in Judah, and he will rid Israel of all of your altars and everything that you've built to these false gods. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And so Josiah is coming at the end. Like, Israel's already in exile. Yeah, they're gone for a hundred years. And now Josiah, this prophesied boy king, finally shows up on the scene towards the end of Judah's run to finally fulfill that prophecy of bringing religious reform not only to the south in Judah, but also to the north in Israel. Well, Josiah's so great. I mean, basically, Josiah... Has he he gets saved at age sixteen? It's pretty funny. So he's he's installed at age eight, but yes. at age sixteen, because they say eight years later, he like wakes up. He's like twenty years old now, or no, no he, he's 16, 16. 16, But then the eighth year of his reign, when he's twenty, no, yeah, no, eighth year of his reign, he's sixteen. At the twelfth year, twelfth year, that's what I meant. He's eighteen. No, sorry, he's twenty. He's twenty. You're right. Thank sorry. you. There he is, 12th oh. year. We're working through it, guys. Oh, the math. It's early. The math. Okay, so he's 20 years old. So he gets saved at 16. He has four years to think it through. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, at age 20, he's getting rid of all the high places. He's yes. going over at all of Israel and Judah, and he's making like these reforms. And then after doing that, it's at age 26 that the most exciting thing happens for Josiah. Mm-hmm. They're restoring the temple. He's restoring the land. And then, boom, the word of God is restored. And at this point in the story... It's just kind of slowly slipped away. The the fact that the written the Pentateuch, the yeah. scriptures of Moses, yes, have just not been around. So at a minimum, Manasseh ran, uh, ruled for fifty five years. So I don't know when they lost it. Yeah. But the idea is it, it as the temple was being parceled out and just desecrated, the words of the the, the Torah or the Pentateuch at least was just lost and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so you imagine 55 years of just the scripture is not a thing. Yeah. And then they find it. Mm-hmm. And Hilkiah, the priest, finds it, brings it back through a series of, there's a little journey, yeah. but it finally gets back to him. And uh, his servant reads it to him, <laughs> his secretary reads it out loud to him. And after hearing yeah. the word of the Lord, which I'm going to assume he's hearing... Uh, Deuteronomy, the section of Deuteronomy where yeah. there's the blessings for those who follow the covenant and the curses for those who don't. And he hears that, tears his clothes. He repents. And is like, oh no, what's, we have not kept this. What's the most powerful thing you can do when presented with fact mm-hmm. about your bank account <laughs> or like some kind of legal thing? It's like, oh, you repent. Yeah. So then what's interesting is he goes, he sends people to Hilda. Yeah, so he's like Hilda. he's like I need 
to inquire of the Lord what we're supposed to do about this. Find someone who can speak to God. And the only person that they can find is a woman named Hulda, who is a prophetess, who is apparently one of the few people that's still around that is and has an open dialogue with God. Right. And uh, she has to lay down some law and some gospel. She lays down the law and the gospel like, oh yeah, you guys have totally broken all these things. And so there will be punishment because I love you. I'm trying to reconcile and forgive you, so we have to deal with it. But it's not going to happen until you're gone, Josiah. Because your heart is soft and you have turned towards the Lord. That's what she says in mm-hmm. verse 27. It's so great. She's like, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard this, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to happen to you. So what it made me think was, wow, for the last 55 years, you're going off of only the oral tradition. Mm -hmm. And so this is why, this helps to explain why the people of God get mixed up with the surrounding religious culture. Yes. is because you're relying on the traditions of the people in front of you, and you've played a game of telephone, Mm -hmm. and it breaks down. It always, that's the fun of playing the game of telephone. I'm going to whisper to Matt, Mm -hmm. Matt, um, I have a motorcycle. And then by the time it goes through 10 people, it's, uh, I have wings or something. It's just totally <laughs> changed. And so uh, I just wanted to make a note here. I thought it was really cool thinking about even what we're doing. See, we have had the scriptures, right? So we have the Bible and people start to take it for granted. We're not diligently searching the scriptures as though it were the stock market and we had a lot of money in it or mm-hmm. as though it's Facebook or or Instagram. You know, we're not doing that every night, just searching the scriptures because we're so desperately interested about mm. what God's doing, right? Mm-hmm. So in our culture right now, we're finding, oh, we have to bring back the oral tradition to start talking about these things so that we can engage them properly and understand God's story and our yes. story and see kind of the themes that are so exciting and cool and a blessing. And so I was just thinking what we're doing has to be rooted in the scripture. It's like when Val, my wife sends me to the store, she can tell me what she wants me to get, but when I get to the store, there's a lot of competing ideas that come into my brain, and I can only <laughs> take in so much because yeah. I'm bringing my subjective yes. ears to it. So, you know, I see a Marie Callender uh, moose cake, and I'm like, oh, I, that's like $7. That's nothing. Maybe I'll buy one of those. But what do I do, Matt? I look at my list that my wife made me write out, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We're getting fruit for dessert. Get the fruit. And so there's a little mini version of repentance and faith, and so I repent, and I go, I'm going to get the fruit, come home, and I'm blessed. That's what we're doing here, though, the Scriptures. So we're anchored in the Scriptures. Always look to the Scriptures for yourself uh, with the help of God, um, and we rejoice. So Josiah actually does what all the kings want to do, which is kind of unites the kingdom again, even though there's not much, there's really not, not much, much of a north kingdom. Left. Yeah, there's no kingdom left. But it's all going to be founded on the word of God. So great. Uh, yeah, so he goes through, he um, cleanses uh, his land and the north. Uh, then he reinstates Passover. Yep. And so it's interesting. So Hezekiah did this. He, he reinstated the Passover meal. Yeah. Um, but they, keep, they throw out this phrase in here, and they did it in Kings as well, 
about how there was not a Passover kept like this since the days of Samuel. I know. And I'm like, what? But It's like 400 years. But I wonder, but the thing that stuck out to me was, okay, so even when Hezekiah did the Passover, it was on the wrong date. It was with unconsecrated priests and unconsecrated people, and it was only by the grace of God because their hearts were in the right place that they were able to do it without inflicting judgment on them. But Josiah actually does it with the right on the right time of the year, uh, with the right priests, with the right people, and so I, 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 it is an amazing event that he was able to orchestrate this all. Well, that's what makes me think Hezekiah maybe didn't have the scriptures. Yeah. Because he's going on tradition, and he knows, like, I don't know if this is right or not, but mm-hmm. here are, and God has mercy when we don't yeah. know. So, and it so, is fascinating. Um, but then we don't make Hezekiah the standard, right? Mm-mm. Hezekiah is a time of grace. Yes. It's like when I didn't know something, someone gives me grace. Like, you didn't know, buddy. But, you know, don't put the uh, styrofoam in the microwave. <laughs> like, we'll let it go yeah. this time. But don't do it again, please. Now you know. Yes. The more you know. And so they have this amazing Passover, and the priests and Levites are reinstated into their proper positions and reorganized into how they were supposed to be. And again, it's probably all done correctly because they have the law now. Right. They have the word, and they're able to figure it all out very clearly, and there's no confusion and yeah, that's the thing. When there's no confusion, there's safety within mm-hmm. that. I know the boundary. I know what we're supposed to do. I know that the Lord is pleased. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. I also am just overwhelmed by the fact that the kings always come back to the Passover. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So like a king always goes back to this thing God set up. The Passover was to commemorate God's great deliverance from exile, from mm-hmm. slavery. From an oppressive nation. By his blood, by yeah. the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. So God's like, I want you to always remember, this is a great festival, but to remember who I am in your mm-hmm. life. And so then it's no, um, it's not a coincidence that Jesus takes the Passover meal. He celebrates it, but then says, now I'm changing it to my body and my blood. And it's something that is to be celebrated and not forgotten by his words of institution. Like, mm-hmm. this is my body. This is my blood. Broken for you. It's no uh, coincidence that as our king, he reinstitutes the Passover for us, only makes it even less bloody, because yeah. he, he takes all the blood out of it for us. I mean, yeah. he, there's real blood, his blood. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's just funny to see, of course Jesus does this, because he's our king. Mm-hmm. And this is what kings do when they are making things right. Yeah. Well, Josiah has one flaw. It's not as bad as the other kings. He doesn't turn to idols. He doesn't... I think this is just a flaw in leadership. We all have flaws, right? We all have things, blind spots. We don't know everything. And I just think... I don't know if you see this as a huge spiritual flaw. I see it as Josiah gets into a fight with uh, Egypt. Egypt actually says... We'll call him Necho. Necho, Mm -hmm. the king of Egypt, says... I don't want to fight with you, Josiah. I'm going beyond you to the land of Euphrates to fight with those other people. So yes. just get out of my way. I don't have a beef with you. Yeah. So and Josiah, though, I think is trying maybe overthinking it. Yeah, I think he's he's trying to do the right thing. Right. But he's. I think too, it's hard to hear the word of God from someone you feel like is outside of yeah, the camp, is inferior. outside like, of the family. When a non-Christian tells you like, "Hey, man." You're, that's wrong what you're doing. You're like, what do you know? Uh-huh. And I, that's a good insight. And so Neko is, 
going on to defeat someone, and he he's saying, look, your God told me to do this. Right. Like an oracle from your own God, Yahweh, said, go and def- go up and do defeat uh, this nation, and so I'm doing that, so please do not stop me. That's so interesting. And, and I think Josiah's like, I can't let you do this. You're coming through my land. This yeah. is a big threat, and I, I can't let you just march through my land. And who knows? I mean, maybe he's also thinking, I'm kind of the protector of this yeah. whole region or something. Mm-hmm. But I do like the idea that it's hard for us uh, when we perceive someone to be out of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to be loving and gracious and go, oh, maybe God's speaking some truth through the mouths of babes. Right. But whatever happened, he, he sticks his nose in. He should have minded his own business. And he dies in battle. Yeah. He dies. Actually, it's very similar to Ahab. It's very weird. I know. So he disguises himself and goes up against Necho. And uh, uh, he gets hit by a random arrow and dies. And so, and that's the end of Josiah and uh, Jeremiah. Jer- so the prophet Jeremiah is in operation at this point. And when we start to read him, you'll realize he had high hopes for Josiah. Right. And so when Josiah dies, there is some major lament going on yeah. within uh, Jerusalem. And the prophets are pretty broken up about this because they were seeing him as almost a messiah. Well, and that's, I think, the th- kind of the application is it is hard to recognize God's will in earthly matters. Yeah. So really, the scriptures guide us in faith, in discerning true and false prophets. You know, it, it, the scriptures do not reveal the will of God in all matters. There's mm-hmm. just things we don't know. And so then it's easy to criticize kings and criticize leaders um, and not criticize ourselves. But uh, and so I think Josiah makes a mistake here. Yeah, makes and, a mistake and pays, there's consequences for and it. And Jeremiah laments. Like, we'll talk more about Jeremiah yeah. as we get through. We got to get through uh, what happens. If we define the word hell as separation from God, mm-hmm. then I can honestly say after Josiah dies, all hell breaks loose <laughs> in Jerusalem. Yes. I mean, it all, the wheels come off the chariots, man. Pretty fast. Pretty fast. So, and this he, so is why he goes up against Necho. Necho defeats Josiah. Josiah dies. His son, Jehoahaz, uh, is, becomes the, the next king. But he's, he's the a, last king that the people of Jerusalem put yes, in office. Yes. And so he has three months, and Necho turns around and takes Jerusalem because he's like, you shouldn't have stopped me. Yeah. And so then he grabs Jehoahaz, takes him away in exile to Egypt, sets up uh, his brother, Jehoiakim, and then Jehoiakim has, what, 11 years? Yeah, he gets 11 years, but and he's evil. He's evil. But they've learned nothing. They've learned nothing. and Well, it feels like that. Nebuchadnezzar, now the Babylonians have risen up, defeated Assyria, so now they're the world power. He comes into... Uh, Jerusalem takes Jehoiakim away. Now this is the first big exile in uh, in the south. In the south, and so he takes away. And I'm pretty sure this is where Daniel and, yeah. and his boys get yes. take grabbed in this first little grab. And then he sets up uh, 
Jehoiachin. So you got Kim. Kim goes to Babylon. Ba- Babylon. You got Chin, who now is king of Jerusalem for about three months before he goes to Babylon, right? Yes, and then Nebuchadnezzar comes back and does another grab, takes Chin with him. Now, Chin actually uh, survives and ends up finding favor among uh, the Babylonian kings yeah. and is, like, reinstituted. Uh, then uh, Chin's uncle, Zedekiah. So now this is like the first one who's not in like direct kingly line. Right. He's a uncle of the line. And so Zedekiah gets placed in and he's the last king of Judah. And he has 11 years as well. But he tries to do a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Without the Lord. Without the Lord fails miserably, Nebuchadnezzar at this point is like, okay, I'm done with you. Everything must go. And wipes Jerusalem clean, takes a bunch of the, takes everyone captive, leads them all out. And if anything, he just leaves a few people there to like slave labor to just kind of keep it from being overrun completely by nature. He leaves just a few people left over. And uh, this is where we get an amazing line about the exile. Are, are well, we wait, ready for this? Or is no. there something else you want yeah, to Yeah, I want to say something. Two things. One, I was just overwhelmed with the, the fact that God, in his mercy and his love, he puts a king in Egypt. He puts two kings in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a king in uh, Jerusalem, although he's not direct line to David. But it's almost like uh, he's diversifying his... Money. He's diversifying yeah. his promise to his people, yeah. which is like, look, you're about to be thrashed, but I'm going to make sure a line to David will always be around. Mm-hmm. So even that Egypt thing and that, it's like, it's so brilliant and so genius. Mm-hmm. The other thing is during Zedekiah, there's in like verse 15, it's this God continued to send prophets uh-huh. and continued to send messengers who they were mocked and despised and scoffed and all that stuff. But it's... It's like the response doesn't bother God. He's like, I'm doing this because I love you. Yeah. I'm and I want you to turn. And I feel like that stands today. Like we can make fun of mm-hmm. people or we could scorn the word of God and say it's so stupid or whatever. But it still is the law. Like the law is still a real thing. It doesn't matter what you think about the speed limit. If uh-huh. a police officer confronts you with you going yeah. 25 over the speed limit, that's that. Um, so... God's wrath is rising up, and there is no more remedy. And we'll find out more about this little time. There's way more details about this little yeah. period in Jeremiah. He has a, It's pretty rough. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, my other thought is sweet Jeremiah. Oh, man. I used to think that Elijah was, like, the best prophet. I mean, he's the one who saw fire come down from heaven and yeah, yeah. all these... Ma- he's fed by ravens. Yes. But I'm starting to think the more impressive prophet, if we can rank... Jeremiah does all this not just with the spiritual failings of God's people. That's what mm-hmm. Elijah saw. It was all spiritual failing. Yes. Jeremiah's seen physical failing as well. Yes. I mean, he's watching Jerusalem die spiritually and physically yes. of this cancerous pride and rebellion against God. Yes. It's Heart-wrenching. That's why he's known as the weeping prophet. Yeah. It's intense. Uh so end us, though, with Second Chronicles. There's like this interesting, interesting line. Okay, so if we can go all the way back 
all the all way back. back to the three characters to Leviticus. Oh, I go back to Genesis. Well, yeah, true, but uh, where where God first gives the law and and He instates the Sabbath year, and He said to them, "You are every seventh year, you're to take it off." And rest the whole year, and you're supposed to let the land rest because the land needs rest. Because right. I care about my creation, I made it too, and I want it to be cared for. So, <laughs> you guys gotta rest a year, and the land's gotta rest a year. And you do that, and I promise there'll always be food, there'll always be stuff for you. No. Well, they Turns never out, did it ever. <laughs> and I was just thinking, how cool <laughs> would it be to pass down to your children's children's children? Like the one awesome thing that you get. For being in this faith. Yeah. A child of God. You get every six years of work, you just get a year off. Yeah. Like I would love that. I would love to go, oh, it's dude, it's the fifth year I can push through with this job because I know the Sabbath year is coming. Yeah. I mean, I I would be saying that at year two, probably. (laughs) Okay, I'm over this new job I have and I can't wait. And they never did it. They never did it. Now before we cast judgment on them for not doing it, we realize that Everyone has to do it. Otherwise, you're scared. Work, yeah. So, like, if I, I'm taking the year off, and then Matt decides not to take the year off, now his career, and he's taking over my business, and he's getting new clients. And so it's like the fear of not trusting the Lord, really not Sabbathing, exposes your distrust in God. Yes. Uh, because it's the biggest ask of God. Isn't yes. that ironic? Like. The biggest thing God asks you to do, the hardest thing he'll ever ask you to do is, is to, to rest. rest. <laughs> and then the thing you'll complain about your whole life is, I'm just so tired. Does it ever end? Yeah. Does it ever end? Do I ever rest? And then you're so confused. You think death is the rest. Yeah. It's like, no, death is like the next door to an eternal life. <laughs> you're getting opportunities to rest and to uh, foretaste heaven, oh, but we can't comprehend or apprehend it. And, uh, and I was just remembering, too, the land is one of the main characters in mm-hmm. our story. You got God, humanity, and the land. Mm-hmm. And we haven't heard of the land, really, besides, like, borders and fighting mm-hmm. since Genesis, really. Well, they, they mentioned it in Judges. And the... Oh, and I guess Exodus lays it all out. And... Yeah. But it, God so... says, I care about my land, so I'm saving my land. Yeah. 449, whatever, 490 years, years of not resting yes and so it says at the time of exile uh to fill to fulfill the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its sabbaths wow all the days that it lay desolate it kept sabbath to fulfill 70 years so awesome and so again the idea is the land is going to get its sabbath one way or the other yeah you could have with us or without us it's going to get its Sabbath. And I set it apart for you. This yeah. is the promised land, but you've proven unable to enjoy this land, so mm-hmm. I'm taking you out for a while because all you're doing is bringing sickness and sadness into it. But then it just makes me think the promise we have of the new creation, mm-hmm. like God is serious about the earth. He is the preeminent, predominant environmentalist because it's his creation. Yeah. No one cares about the earth more than our yeah. God, and we should care about the earth in that respect, but... Really, how do we care for the earth? We trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're confronted every day with we trust money and work more than we trust the Lord. Correct. Um, and that's, but I, that's the rub. Yeah. So then the Chronicler ends this book by jumping ahead, uh, passing through those 70 years of 
uh, Judean exile to the year of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, announcing that the word of the Lord is upon him to send the people back to Jerusalem to restore the, the city and the temple. And so we end Chronicles with a bunch of P words. Can you guess what the P words are? It's not in the text. You have to use your critical thinking skills. Promise? Pride, right? Oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, promise. Did jump ahead? Was it pride? Well, first, of course, the theme of pride. Pride, yeah. Okay. But then God has some P words for us. Passover? Oh, I like that. <laughs> okay, I like that. I was going to say God is, at the end of this, I see God as extremely patient. Oh, yeah. He's, he's patient with his people. Uh-huh. He has promises that he's carrying out. And then you just gave me Passover, which is another one. Like, remember the Passover. Remember, I will save you from the oppressive foreign nations and from the oppression of sin. Into a promised land yeah. with a promised savior, with a, oh, what's the word for king? A potentate. Oh, wow. <laughs> a powerful potentate. Okay. Anyway, God is patient. Thank you, God, for Chronicles. We did Man, it, y'all. That was awesome. Woo! Another book is done. Let's move on to, um, we're finally out of this double cron idea of 2 Chronicles, 2 Corinthians. It's very confusing when trying to <laughs> figure out what to read in the morning. So where are we in the New Testament, Matt? Our New Testament reading for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through chapter 3. Well, this just might be a long episode. <laughs> I want to, you know, we want to be as brief as possible because... God knows we can't cover everything. I know. But let me just say a few words at the beginning of uh, this section. You got fragrant aromas. I know. You got letters of recommendation. You got the veil is lifted. <sighs> we are being transformed. Uh, uh, that's like six sermons. <laughs> so here's the thing that hit me with Paul um, alluding that we are the fragrant aroma. It just struck me. Of course. They're so familiar with fragrant aromas mm -hmm. because there's 12 temples that are constantly burning meat and barbecuing and there's yes. restaurants. And I know you've never ridden a motorcycle, but as you ride a motorcycle through downtown, mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about it is the smells. You smell yes. every restaurant. Like I'll be driving home from our friend Anthony's house and I'll smell Krispy Kreme. I'll yeah, smell yeah, a barbecue yeah. space. I'll smell, you know, you just smell it. And so these people are saying, hey, we get some bread and wine, but we don't really have any like attractive aromas. Mm -hmm. And Paul's going, you are the aroma of Christ. Right. You are the, the sacrifice is Christ in you, and now you are a sweet-smelling aroma, which will draw people. See, there's that smells you have, or that's death. That's the smell of death to death. Yeah. Christ is the smell. Your life is the smell of life to life. Mm -hmm. That's what he means there. I like it. It's, um, it's an overwhelming thing to grasp, but it's the Holy Spirit's work, and it's a sweet smell. So that's cool. Yes. Yeah, I mean... Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed Next. it. Chapter so three. tell me about... He, he then says this thing about letters of recommendation, and you are letters of recommendation. Yeah, so again, uh, I feel like he's kind of referring even to his first letter. Yes. And going... Because he felt like there was a moment where he had to like prove himself yes, yes, to, yes. to the uh, Corinthians. And he was like, I, I don't 
think I need to prove myself. <laughs> I mean, if anything, you guys, your lives and yeah. your response to the gospel, that is my proof. That's what they don't understand. Like, you all love Jesus now. Yeah, that's that, a you letter under- of recommendation. That's the miracle yeah. that Christ did to me that now has happened to you. Right. So that's how you know I'm about Christ. Because right. the fact you're fighting about me, that's fine. I'm not Jesus. Right. Good. Right. Yeah. Then he has that line, though, about uh, the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Mm-hmm. The words of God are written on your hearts now. The yeah. ten words in Christ Jesus. So that's better and if you were still fighting over to have a seat with me or Moses mm-hmm. or, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and so then he kind of uses, he's so familiar with the Old Testament yeah. and then how it's now being translated into this new era with Jesus. It's amazing. And so now he's just using all this language to go, look, we are transitioning from the ministry of death yes. into a ministry of life. Because let's remember... That legalism and the law, that kills us. Yeah. Under that stuff, we are dead. But under the law of the but under the the spirit, the ministry of the spirit, we are now free. Dude, do you think Paul knows more about the Old Testament than us? Uh yeah. I'm just kidding. That was that was a joke. But I'm glad you took it seriously. I mean, we've read it several times. I think we're scholars. No. But uh when we talk about law and gospel, too, we're seeing those themes. I mean, Paul uh-huh. really says it right here in uh, verse 5. The new commandment is not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he, yeah, he's building that out, is that we th- are thankful for the law, but its end is to make you stop a behavior. Mm-hmm. The gospel j- brings you into life-giving behaviors. Right. Um. I think this is an underrated chapter. Like chapter three just continues to, to get better, I think. Because then he goes, he's like, why are we talking about Moses? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that veil over his face. Oh, man. And he's like, look, Moses looked, he was in the presence of God and his face reflected God's glory when all he had was the law. Yes. And he's like, we can get hung up on the law and still want to kick this guy out of our, mm-hmm. and just be all about you're out because you've sinned or you're in. He's like, the problem with that is that glory fades. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so what? So I kick you out for being a jerk of our, our church. But then what? Mm-hmm. That glory slowly fades, and then we got to kick someone else out. It just keeps going in mm-hmm. that direction. So Paul's going, no. He uses the veil two different ways. Yeah. It's funny. So he's like, no, we have something better than the veil. We have Christ, like the Spirit, right. that never-ending glow of the Spirit. But then he says, if you get into the law... You have to wear this veil. Yeah, it, you're unable to really see the spiritual realities because right. this veil is now blocking you and the It's like dividing you between you and the glory of God. Right. And uh, he's like, but when you are in the spirit, the veil is removed and you can withstand the glory of God and it does not kill you. It leads you to life. It doesn't melt your face like uh, the Nazi guy in yeah. uh, Indiana Jones. Correct. But then... He says, uh, I just really like the line. Well, first of all, there's freedom. Mm-hmm. The idea that there's freedom without that veil. We behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul always allows us to be growing at different rates. We are all, and his message is, 
You're a sweet smelling aroma. Mm-hmm. You're a letter of recommendation for me. You are carriers of the glo- the full glory of God in Jesus Christ by transported to you and, and ministered to you by the work of the Spirit. And that Spirit is changing you now so that you can walk into your inheritance, which is the earth, yeah. with your King Jesus. And by the way, King Jesus, what a great king. <laughs> Making provisions, protecting, fighting for us, never turning from God. Um, def- I don't know. Yeah. When you put it all together, it's like, I'm so glad to be in the kingdom of God. And the encouragement to us is today, hey, if you never be ashamed of your faith. There'll be ups and downs in sinning and, and uh, coming back, but it's all about continuing to come back and repent. The strength is in repentance, not in perfection. You are being transformed. Yeah. All right, our psalm for today is Psalm 104, verses 19 through 30. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. by ravens go in peace and serve the lord we will talk to you next time